Well, Gonzaga and Kentucky are set to face each other at the Spokane Arena this year, which begs the all-important question, is this Mark Few's hardest non-conference schedule yet? Answering that and much more here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. I also want to thank all of you who have continued to make Locked On Zags your first listen of the day, especially now as we are here into August and the part of the offseason where there are only three episodes per week. Still, tons of fantastic Gonzaga content coming your way. I appreciate every one of you who has checked out the show during the offseason, especially those of you who have checked out the show on YouTube. If you have not done so yet, just go to YouTube.com, search Locked On Zags, you'll find the channel every episode on there for your viewing pleasure. You can hit that subscribe button as well. Trying to get to a thousand subscribers before the start of the college basketball season. We are well on our way, but any help you can give there is very much appreciated. All right, welcome to Mailbag Monday. This is a reminder for most of you, but for new listeners or those who have not participated before, very simple to do so. You can reach out to me on Twitter whenever you are thinking of a question. It helps if you tag up Mailbag Monday. Either way, I will put it into my notes, get it ready for the next week's Mailbag episode. I also reach out on Twitter Sunday mornings, soliciting questions. You can respond to that tweet to get in the show, or you can email me, andypatton013 at gmail.com. Just whenever you're thinking of a question or multiple questions, shoot me an email. I'll get them into the show that way as well. All right, let's get right into it. This first question for today's show comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, great article on the Gonzaga versus Kentucky matchup. Is Calipari's reaction more huff than puff? On August 4th, Coach Calipari tweeted, quote, I'm disappointed that we have to go there first, but to make it happen, I was willing to do that. What are your thoughts? I actually like this because it potentially feels fuels the budding rivalry. Yeah, so th- first of all, thank you for reading the article at scorezagscore.com. For those of you who have not checked it out, uh, all my written content, three to four new articles every single day. So check that out. It's been a labor of love over the last month or so for me. So I appreciate those of you who are not only listening to the show, but checking out the website as well. Yeah, you probably didn't miss this. Coach Calipari and the Kentucky Wildcats are coming to Spokane. It is a tremendous deal to have a program of the caliber of Kentucky coming to Spokane. I think getting bogged down in the minutia of where they're playing is is absolutely something that I participated in, that many of you also participated in, this kind of having the conversation of why can't they play at the kennel? Why is Coach Cal afraid to play at the kennel? Why will the, you know they're playing at the arena instead? Yeah, it's more people. Uh, the other side of the argument is, Fans in Spokane who otherwise don't get to see the Zags might get an opportunity to see them play a team like Kentucky. I do understand both sides. I think that Cal is definitely trying to get out of it. I think him tweeting that, oh, anybody who wants to see us play in a 6,000 square or 6,000 seat arena wants us to lose is kind of hogwash is the term that I'll use here. Uh, But at the end of the day, I understand why they're playing in a bigger arena. And again, The Zags got Coach Calipari and the Kentucky Wildcats to fly to Spokane to play the first leg of a home-and-home on the road against one of the best teams in the country. That is impressive. I think that at the end of the day, that's kind of the primary thing that we should be celebrating is that in the midst of what is already a spectacular non-conference schedule, and we will talk more about that later in this episode, later in this segment, as a matter of fact, but 
to get Kentucky on top of that, to get them to come to Spokane is truly tremendous. And I think, again, as somebody who did participate in said debates and is frustrated this game is not at the kennel because I think it robs the students of the opportunity to see that game. I think more true road games, and this is this extends to Gonzaga. A lot of people like to say, well, the Zags don't play true road games either. Yeah, and I criticize them for that too. Like this, it's not a blanket criticism of other teams, but not my team. I think Gonzaga should play more games on the road. I think, but I also think it should be even. Like the the Gonzaga Alabama series is a good example. Yeah, people were like, well, they're calling this a home and home, but Gonzaga's home game is in Seattle for the battle in Seattle. Sure, but Gonzaga's road game is in Birmingham. Alabama's campus is not in Birmingham; it is in Tuscaloosa. So that to me is at least fair. A situation where Gonzaga is going to play at Rupp Arena and they're not. Kentucky's not going to play at the kennel. I understand the size discrepancy. Rupp is three more than three times bigger than the kennel and is still about twice as big as the Spokane Arena. I understand that there is a difference there and that there should be nuance when you have these kind of conversations. But I think if if Calipari is going to make it very clear, I do not want to play at your home arena, then the Zags probably shouldn't play at Rupp. Like it in order like for fairness. And again, is this that big of a deal? No. But it's one of those things where I would like to see more true road games. That's generally my 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 overall thoughts on this conversation, on the Calipari situation, on the Kentucky game, on home and homes in general. Play them on the road. I Yeah, there's, there's the other arguments of more fans in the seats, whatever. I understand that. I don't think that that's necessarily wrong. I'm not overly upset about this game being at the Spokane Arena. But I would like to see more teams play high-profile road games at opposing arenas because of the camaraderie, because of the experience, because of the, the, the amplified energy of the student section that you don't get at games at places like the Spokane Arena or Climate Pledge Arena or the Moda Center or whatever it may be. All right, next question comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, A couple days ago, Gary Parrish at CBS Sports said that Gonzaga's kennel may just be the best home court environment in all of college basketball. When you compare Gonzaga's kennel to other home court environments like Kansas, Kentucky, Michigan State, Arizona, UCLA, Duke, and North Carolina, where would you rank the kennel in best home court environments? Yeah, this is a hard question to answer because, as you could probably imagine, I have not been to all 350-plus Division I home arenas. I have been to none of the arenas that were just listed here except for Arizona's, uh, excuse me, and UCLA's, but I went to UCLA's a very long time ago, so I'm not sure if that counts. But it's hard to know. Duke, the Cameron Crazies are electric. I think it's really hard to make a definitive argument that the Kennel Club and the Kennel in general is a better home environment than what Duke has with the Cameron Crazies. I don't think that that is true, so I think at best... Gonzaga is probably second, but again, Kansas, the home arena there is spectacular. Rupp Arena is always going crazy for for Kentucky. Uh, And then again, you talk about Michigan, Michigan State, you talk about North Carolina, like there's a lot of really good fan bases out there. And again, to kind of piggyback off the first question, a better way to be able to answer this question is to watch more high profile games in those arenas. If Gonzaga and Kentucky were to do a home-and-home where they were to both play at each other's arenas, you would get a better sense of like, well, the kennel really brought it and Rupp was quieter or vice versa. Hey, Rupp really brought it and the kennel didn't really seem to have it. 
but when they don't play in those arenas, then it's just a, it's a little bit harder to make that that comparison. But Gonzaga is definitely in the top ten, potentially in the top five. They've always had a raucous student section. They have very choreographed. Uh, the band plays an integral role in that as well. It's a smaller arena, so it's very loud, very very intimate, right on top of the players, and it's definitely not one of the easiest places to play uh, in all of college basketball. Next question comes from Pete via Gmail. Pete says, Andy, with which team do you think the Zags will have the most trouble in the coming non-conference season? And how many losses do you think we'll have on our record when we start conference play? Yeah, so I've continually, this question's come up a handful of times about uh, the the toughest team that Gonzaga's going to play in the non-conference. This is the first time this question has been asked since Kentucky has been added to the conference, but it is not changing my answer. I have continued to say that Baylor is going to be a really, really tough matchup for Gonzaga. I'm going to stick with it in part because I haven't done an incredibly deep dive onto what Kentucky's roster is going to look like next season. We will have more on Kentucky later this week. We'll have much more on Kentucky as the game gets closer. We'll talk to the host of Locked On Wildcats podcast. We're going to have plenty of conversation about that game as it gets closer. Certainly Oscar Shubway is going to be a huge factor for that Kentucky squad. But right now, Baylor's team scares me more. Scott Drew has knows the recipe for defeating Gonzaga. This Gonzaga roster is very similar to the 21 squad that got beat very badly by Baylor in the national championship game. It's a similarly constructed roster with, I think, similar strengths and similar weaknesses, whereas Baylor, I think, proved they know how to defeat some of those weaknesses. This Baylor roster is different, so obviously they're not going to be able to attack the same way. It's difficult when you don't have Jared Butler and Davion Mitchell on your roster anymore, but this Baylor team is still very good. Keontae George is an absolute machine. Flo Thamba is around, and he was awesome when these two teams played each other a few years ago. So I'm leaning with Baylor still, but again, after doing some more digging onto Kentucky and what their what their group of freshmen looks like this year, I'll maybe have a better sense of, of what kind of challenge they're going to present as well. And then the, the second part of your question, Pete, was uh, how many losses I think we'll, they'll have. Again, without having dug too deeply into the team, uh, they're going to have a couple. I think I, I don't think they're going to come out of this non-conference unscathed. I talked about this a little bit on an article at ScoreZag Score. I've talked about it a bit on here. Gonzaga is not only playing a bunch of very tough games, but they're playing a lot of these games in rapid succession. They're playing Kentucky four days later. They start the PK-85. I think four days before Kentucky is when they're playing Texas. Five days before that, they're playing Michigan State. Like This is a very difficult schedule. Many of these games are packed into about a three-week period of time. My guess at this point is that they will come out of this with two losses. Where exactly is hard to say. I'd probably venture a guess at like Duke Baylor being the two losses. That would obviously mean they would have victories over Texas and Alabama and Kentucky and somebody else very good in the PK-85. So still a tremendously successful non-conference slate. Uh, But I have a hard time seeing them come out of it without any losses. Uh, And two or even three feels fairly realistic with how challenging of a schedule this is. And the final question of segment number one, another one from Christian. Christian says, with the addition of the Kentucky game, is this the most challenging non-conference schedule the Zags have ever had? And if not, what is a season that surpassed this non-conference schedule? Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. I'm not sure that it is particularly close. I think the next closest one that comes to mind uh, is, the, of course, the last time Gonzaga went to the national championship game, the 2020-2021 season. That featured West West Virginia. It featured Virginia. It featured Kansas. featured Iowa. Very, very good schedule for the Zags that year. But this year's is absolutely ridiculous. Again, we'll have more context after the season. You know, we, 
we are not exactly sure where all these teams are going to land. Like last year's non-conference schedule featured Texas and Texas Tech and, and a handful of other very excellent teams as well. But, you know, we saw that Texas team not nearly rank as highly at the end of the year as they did at the beginning of the season. And that will happen this year. Some of these teams will end up rising up the ranks. Some of these teams will drop down in the ranks. And so we'll have a better sense of what it looks like after that. But right now, Looking at this schedule, looking at the teams Gonzaga is going to face without knowing every detail of the PK-85, it's hard for me to to list any of Gonzaga's previous seasons as having a better non-conference schedule than this one. All right, we're going to come back in the second segment. We're going to make starting lineup predictions. We're going to answer even more listener-submitted questions. But before we do that, I want to tell you all about LinkedIn. As the sun comes out and small businesses are back in business, LinkedIn Jobs makes it easier to grow your team. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the people you want to interview faster and for free. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Then just add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know that every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, segment two. Still any patents, still locked on Zach, still hammering through excellent listener submitted questions all episode long here. On Mailbag Monday, this next question comes from Theodore via Gmail. Theodore says, between Nolan Hickman and Hunter Salas, who do you think is more likely to get a starting spot? And who do you think deserves the starting spot if you were coaching the team? Well, Theodore, here's the deal. I am not coaching the team, which means I do not get to see how these players operate in practice. Uh, So my ability to answer that question is somewhat limited. I have said on this show in previous episodes that my ideal starting lineup includes Hunter Salas and does not include Nolan Hickman. My, my ideal lineup would be Malachi Smith, Hunter Salas, Rasir Bolton, Julian Strother, Drew Timmy. And my reasoning behind that is effectively, I know Gonzaga operates very well with two point guard lineups and having Nolan Hickman and Malachi Smith playing together gives Gonzaga that two point guard lineup. But if they both start, they don't really have a backup point guard coming off the bench. Certainly you would have Dominic Harris, you would have Hunter Salas, both those guys coming off the bench. They're both guards. You could certainly slide some of your other guards down into the point guard position, but for me it makes more sense to have Hickman come off the bench. He can come in directly for Smith, he can come in for Salas, and shift Malachi over to an off-guard role. Heck, he could come in for Rasir Bolton. Like They have plenty of flexibility and options to kind of change things up a little bit. Uh, I do think there's some argument for having a lineup where Salas and Anton Watson are both coming off the bench together at the same time. This is something we saw from Mark Few and the staff a little bit last year where they kind of immediately give a huge boost of defensive energy. Anton Watson and Hunter Salas are elite perimeter defensive players. They're great trap defenders, full court press, half court press, 
all all basically all kinds of good defense from those two guys and so bringing them in at the same time would give a very significant jolt to the defense and I can understand that argument and I wouldn't be shocked if that is what Mark Few decides to do but I also see an argument of having Salah start and you have a little bit more defensive energy already in the starting lineup because without him the defense in the starting lineup is a bit suspect. I, I don't think there's any really notably bad defensive players in there, but there's some unproven defensive players. Malachi Smith's a big physical guard. I think he's going to handle himself well at this level. Nolan Hickman is relatively unproven. Rasir Bolton was a good defensive player last year, better than he had been in his previous years in college, so I think that's a benefit. Julian Strother's a fine defensive player, but you're asking him to play a different position, which I think is a bit of a challenge. So for me, Salas starting makes more sense because it gives the team Team a bit more balanced. Yes, they're not as strong as a perimeter shooting team, but Malachi Smith and Rasir Bolton and Julian Strother got that on lock. Those three dudes, is an, it's enough shooting in a starting lineup right there. So give me Salas, who I think is going to be an improved shooter anyway, but give me him, give better defensive intensity, and then you can bring Hickman in and kind of run those two guard lineups uh, after that. Next question comes from Dad Risk on Twitter which says, give me three starting lineups for this year. First, the one you think is going to happen. Second, the one that would make you say, oh, hell yeah. And third, the one that would make you say, hmm, that's fine, but I don't love it. Okay, uh, we're going to go right through this. Number one, the lineup that I think is going to happen. I kind of alluded to that in the previous question. Hickman, Smith, Bolton, Strother, Timmy. That is the starting lineup that has both Hunter Salas and Anton Watson coming off the bench to kind of provide some defensive energy. Those would be guys six and seven. Guys eight and nine would be Efton Reed and Dominic Harris. That's the most likely starting lineup, in my opinion, uh, as we're discussing this in early August. Uh, my hell yeah lineup is basically exactly the same, but with Hunter Salas in the lineup instead of Nolan Hickman. So that starting five would be Malachi Smith, Hunter Salas, Rasir Bolton, Julian Strother, and Drew Timmy. Again, a very similar lineup. A little bit more defense with Hunter Salas, ability to bring Hickman off the bench and kind of provide a little bit more point guard steadiness in that regard. Still have Anton Watson, still have Efton Reed, still have Dominic Harris coming off the bench to kind of form the nine-man rotation. And then fine, I guess this is the lineup that I, in theory, don't love. I don't hate this lineup. Uh, I wanted to bring it up because I don't think it's being discussed often enough as a potential starting lineup. But the assumption that most have is that one of... Dominic, or excuse me, one of Hunter Salas or Nolan Hickman is going to start. And Mark Few might not start either of them. I, I think it's very reasonable to expect that Mark Few is going to start a very, very senior lineup. So my fine, I guess, lineup is Malachi Smith, Rasir Bolton, Julian Strother, Anton Watson, and Drew Timmy. The expectation is that Julian Strother is going to play a small ball four role and that Drew Timmy is going to be the five and that you're going to have three guard lineups. But they may not do that. Strother may reprise his role as the team's starting three, just like he did last year. You have two starting guards. In this case, it would be Smith and Bolton, the two veteran guys. You start Anton Watson at the four, a guy who started quite a bit in his collegiate career. He's primarily come off the bench, but it's rare for Gonzaga to have four-year rotation players not start as seniors. It's very rare. And I think it's Definitely something we should consider that Mark Few is going to start Anton Watson this year. I, I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. It's not my favorite lineup necessarily. I don't know that you should have both these sophomore guards coming off the bench, but they need to prove it. 
And they need to prove it not just over Dominic Harris, who also could fight in his way into a starting role, but they need to prove it over Anton Watson and Efton Reed because the Zags are willing. They have enough positional flexibility with this roster that if Efton Reed outperforms Nolan Hickman, they may not play the similar position at all, but they could that that is they could make, figure out ways to make that work. They could change the lineup to get that guy more minutes, even though they're a foot apart in height and they play completely different positions. Uh, that's what makes it fun to, to root for this team. That's what makes it challenging for these guys. It's like you're not just competing with the other guy who plays your position. You're competing with everybody on that roster because if they outplay you, if somebody else in a different position is is doing more to contribute to the team than you are, you're going to lose playing time to them because they will figure out a way to make it uh, to adjust things around. And I think Anton Watson's the kind of guy who could absolutely earn a starting spot by partly just having been a program guy for the last three years, but also like if if Hickman and Salas aren't quite there at the beginning of the year, they're not guaranteed a starting spot at all. All right, next question of final question of the segment comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, any update or news on Caden Perry? If not, feel free to disregard, but he's such an exciting player, and I think GU fans would love to see him healthy and ready to ball out. Yeah, so uh, no update here. I didn't want to disregard it, though, because I do like talking about Caden Perry. Uh, I also want to point out that no update's not necessarily a bad thing. Doesn't doesn't frankly mean anything at this point. Uh, we know that he had surgery uh, over the offseason, early into the offseason. Obviously, he missed the majority of last season. I believe he only played in eight games last year with a back injury that, that first cropped up in high school, limited him his senior year, limited him to only a few games last year as a freshman. He got surgery on it in the offseason, likely just continuing to go through the rehab process there. I don't know how long that is. But I think it's worth pointing out Caden Perry's probably not going to be a part of the plan this year, whether he's healthy or not. If he comes back fully 100% healthy, rearing to go from day one, he is at best the fourth big. There's just not a lot of room for him. You talk about a lineup with, with Drew Timmy, with Anton Watson, with Efton Reed. Those three guys are all in front of him, and that's not counting Julian Strother, who's going to play a lot of his minutes at the four, barring a surprise decision from the coaching staff. So... Best case, he's fourth, and that's if Strother's not playing the four. If Strother is playing the four, that makes Caden Perry the fifth big. And again, that's not counting Ben Gregg. That's not counting Braden Huff, incoming freshman out of Chicago. So it's going to be tough for for Caden Perry to find playing time this year. That may not be a bad thing if he's still rehabbing from his back injury. It's maybe a bit of a lost season, maybe a bit of a, a pseudo redshirt season. Maybe it's entirely a redshirt season, depending on, on what his health situation looks like. But at the end of the day, Caden Perry's contributions to the Gonzaga basketball program on the court probably don't start till next season anyway. So I wouldn't expect to see much of him this year, regardless of, of what updates we may get about his health going forward. All right, two segments down. We're going to come back in the third and final segment, answer even more listener submitted questions. But before we do that, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. College basketball may be deep into the offseason, but the MLB, WNBA, and MLS seasons are heating up into the summer months. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all of the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They even have lines for coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason, you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet online, 
where the game starts. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zag, still hammering through Mailbag Monday here in the second week of August. This next question comes from Theodore via Gmail. Theodore says, which players do you think will be drafted in 2023 out of Gonzaga? Yeah, this is a good question and one that could go a lot of different ways. I think there's really only really only one player that I think is is basically a guarantee, as much of a guarantee as you can have in August, and um, that's Julian Strother. Julian Strother was in the draft process last year, went to the NBA Draft Combine, performed well, was on many mock drafts as a mid to late second round pick, decided to return to school. Now, we, we know that there are some things he can work on. Uh, he's going to play a, potentially play a different position this year. Uh, consistency shooting, the, shooting from the outside, more of an ability to attack the rim, get to the free throw line, some improvements defensively, stuff that I think are all things that he is very capable of, of making adjustments to and improving on and showing that improvement to the point where he's probably going to be a first-round pick next year. Early mocks that are coming out right now already have him showing up in the late first area. Uh, it's too hard to really pin down everything that's going to happen in the draft when it's you know still 10 months away, uh, but Strother is a fairly safe bet to be selected at some point during the 2023 draft. Uh, I'm going to say that the overall answer to this question is three. I think the other two players that I'm going to pick are Hunter Salas and Drew Timmy. I do think Drew Timmy is going to get drafted in the late second round. I, I don't think that his choosing to return to school the last couple of years has has done much to improve his draft stock. Not that he has not gotten better as a basketball player, but he just is, is somewhat capped on his ability to be an impactful NBA player because of the lack of a consistent outside shot and the inability to to move particularly well laterally as a defensive player, which is something that is really important for big men to be able to do at the, in the NBA because of all of the high ball screens that happen in that league. So I think Drew Timmy is still going to get drafted. I think he's a late second round pick. I think Julian Strother is a potential late first round pick. I think those two are relatively safe. Uh, and then I, my wild card is, is Hunter Salas. I, I think Hunter is... He was a top 10 player in his recruiting class, a guy that many people had on mock drafts last year before the season started, before he ended up in a much smaller role, playing only about 14 minutes per night last year as a freshman. If he plays closer to 20, 25 minutes per game this year, and we see improvements offensively in terms of shot creation, in terms of outside shooting, we see that athleticism continue to be on display the way that it was in spurts last year. Uh, people are going to draft him just based on potential alone. I've seen next Jaden Ivey comps on him, and while that is very aggressive to label him as that, Jaden Ivey obviously went from being a backup guard at Purdue to one of the best players in all of college basketball as a sophomore. I'm not sure that Salas is going to reach that very lofty goal, although I think that it is plausible. I think that he has the skill set to be that good of a basketball player. If he lands somewhere in the middle of what he was last year and what Jaden Ivey was last year, uh, that's still enough for him to be a, a drafted player. So I, I think those three guys are going to get drafted. I think Malachi Smith could very well get drafted as well. I think there's a reality where Nolan Hickman gets drafted as well, although I, I don't see all five of those guys going. I think that that's a little bit too... I, I don't think all those guys could have good enough years simultaneously for that to happen. So uh, somewhere between two to four guys guys getting drafted is kind of what I expect, but there's a handful of different guys that you could kind of pick to be those potential guys. Next up, this question comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, any non-conference scheduling news or updates for the Lady Zags? Yeah, I answered this question last week, and unfortunately, there is still not an update there. I looked back in the history last year. The women's basketball non-conference schedule was released on September 10th. 
2021, so I expect a similar release this year. Later this month, potentially early September, we'll get a release all of the non-conference games for the ladies' Zags. Uh, they've often, you know, we talk about the men's schedule a lot and how many tough games they schedule. The women's team has done a really good job of this as well. They've played Stanford, they've played Tennessee, they've played other really good Pac-12 schools uh, in the non-conference slate. So hopefully they'll get a chance to to add some similarly high-profile programs to their schedule for this upcoming season. Final question of the show comes from Dad Risk on Twitter. He says, who's the next hopeful rotation guy to transfer like Pavel Zakharov or Umar Balo did? Yeah, so I really don't like speculating on this. I think that we as fans who aren't super plugged into the team are, can't, we can't know, we don't have enough information to really know this. I guess is what I want to say. Uh, I didn't read the whole question here that was asked by Dad Risk, but he implied that Ben Gregg is his prediction for this. And, and Ben Gregg is like, his whole family's from Spokane. Like his grandma grew up in Spokane. He waited to make his announcement for what school he was going to on his grandma's birthday to commit to Spokane and Gonzaga to commit to the school that he's been rooting for since he was like a three-year-old kid. His dad posts pictures of him like every game day, like in the child center, like rooting on the Zags, playing the pilots, like when he was like five or six years old. And like, does that mean that he won't transfer? No, of course not. But it is like pretty important context to have. People have been speculating that Martinez Orlauskas was going to transfer for two years and he never did. Now he left the program, which we talked about last week to find a professional opportunity overseas, but he didn't transfer. And I think waiting for players to leave Gonzaga's program is just feels like an odd and icky thing to me. Yes, Gonzaga has 13 or 14 players vying for what we're assuming is going to be nine spots, but frankly could be eight or seven spots. There are going to be very talented players on this Gonzaga basketball roster who do not play this year. Ben Gregg is among them. Caden Perry is among them. Braden Huff is among them. I don't know this for a fact, but looking at the roster, looking at who's on the roster, the current construction, it's pretty reasonable to expect that those three guys will play very little this year. I think there's a possibility that Dominic Harris does not play all that much this year either. They have five guards. One of those guards isn't going to play. My suspicion is that it is Dom, but if Dom absolutely crushes it throughout the season or throughout the, the offseason, maybe it's Nolan Hickman. Maybe it's Hunter Salas. That would be surprising to me, but somebody's not going to play where they're only going to play six, seven, eight minutes per game. Among those big guys, multiple of those guys aren't going to play. So is somebody going to transfer after the year because they're not playing? Perhaps. But Ben Gregg and Caden Perry could have transferred this offseason. Dominic Harris could have transferred this offseason. None of them did. So I don't really like speculating on this because there's so much more at play than that guy was, a you know, just looking at how high of a recruit he was and how many minutes he's playing and make the assumption based solely off that just doesn't feel right. There's, there's more to it. There's more nuance. There's more kind of, they're people. These are not just like numbers on a spreadsheet making a decision like, well, I only played six minutes and I would have had to play eight minutes in order for it to be worth it. So now I'm transferring. Like, that's not how this works. There's a lot more to it. And so I think trying to make those predictions without that information just doesn't work. I have no idea what Ben Gregg is being told behind the scenes by the coaching staff. We have seen players spend two, three seasons in Spokane, not doing a whole lot and then exploding. Rui Hachimura played like four minutes per game as a freshman. Joel Ayayi averaged less than two points per game before he blew, before he exploded in his junior year. Like this happens at Gonzaga a lot. I mean, it happens here more than it happens at a lot of other schools. And so 
I think trying to make those assumptions, yeah, maybe they will leave. I wouldn't be shocked if either of those guys left or if if Braden Huff never, if he ended up leaving at some point. I don't, I don't know. It's too early to tell with some of those guys. Uh, but I, I don't like speculating because I'm, I would just be guessing based off of having a very, very, very tiny piece uh, of the entire puzzle figured out. All right, that is going to do it for me today. I want to do a reminder that it is August, and for August and September, the podcast will be three episodes per week. Another thing that this means is that I am going to put a temporary hiatus on Mailbag Mondays. I know they are many people's favorite episodes. Many of you have participated in Mailbag Monday basically every week for close to a year now, and I appreciate all of that, but we seem to be recycling a lot of the same content, and my goal is to make Mailbag Monday. I don't want any of my episodes to ever feel stale. So part of the goal here is to to do something a little bit different for the next few weeks. We'll bring Mailbag Monday back either in late September, early October. It will become a regular part of the staple again. If you have questions that you want to send to me, do not for one second think that the absence of Mailbag Monday means that you cannot do that. You can continue to reach out to me on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, on the website, scorezagscore.com. Uh, you can reach out to me at email, andypatton013 at gmail.com. You can ask questions as if Mailbag is still happening. You can just share your thoughts, ask if this is a topic that I want to explore. Many of you have sent me emails saying, hey, I'm not sure if this is for Mailbag or if you want to turn this into a separate segment, but here's a, here's a thought that I had. In many instances, I have, in fact, turned those into entire segments. So please, the last thing I want is for people to feel like I'm trying to push the push you away, push the conversations that we have away. Uh, it's my favorite part of doing this podcast is getting to interact with all of you on a one-on-one -on -one basis, uh, talking to you on social media, via email, whatever it may be. So please continue to reach out, continue to share your thoughts, your questions, your concerns, uh, your segment ideas, whatever it may be. Uh, if we get plenty of plenty of them in a, in a short amount of time, perhaps we will add another mailbag episode in. I will be sure to let you all know on social media if that happens. But for now, plan on not seeing mailbags for at least a couple of weeks uh, while we wait for some kind of more topics and more questions to to come up to the forefront. All right, finally, I want to thank all of you who have made Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Locked On WCC does not exist yet, but you can get more informed on the West Coast happenings by making Locked On Pac-12 your second listen of the day. Host Spencer McLaughlin and the local experts of Locked On take you across the Pac-12 in 30 minutes, five times per week. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.